Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around La Ruta Edition. Dude, this might be the episode of No Ride Around. It took long enough to get here. Oh man, so like 18 months in the making and now it's done and now we're here to talk about it. And, you know, just before you hit record, you said, um, are we just going to dive into this thing just raw and go? Or do you want to map this out? And you said, I'm just fine with jumping into it. But I got to pause and say this. Before you dive into it, before we dive into it, before we talk about this whole adventure, right? Both the three-day race and everything leading into it, and then afterwards, and all of the things. What were the words that came out of your mouth as you crossed the finish line at the end of the first stage? I honestly don't remember. Probably something to the effect of "What the fuck?" You actually said, "What the fuck was that?" And the look on <laughs> your face is is akin to like. Um, what was that movie shot in real time about World War One and the trenches? Nineteen. I know the one. Nineteen. It, it was like a date, right? Or yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. During the war. Yeah, nineteen seventeen. And uh, and the dude finally like makes it back from across all the like the trenches and the craziness, <laughs> and he like lays and he just seems like ashen white and just shell shocked and just to- and, and just whoa. And the photo of you that we pulled from the video <laughs> and your statement. What the fuck was it? It was almost as if you were like, like, I just came back from being abducted by aliens and I feel so unsure about my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I needed to set the tone, uh, the temperature, because I think that gives us a good like frame of reference for like, we've talked about this thing for a year and a half. Yeah. Right. It came to you as a challenge at the end of a season, the purpose of a second season and now stretched into the third season to actually execute it. And well, it should have felt like this. Something that means that much, right? We talk about evolutionary changes as athletes. Yeah, saying that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we've we on a number of occasions throughout the the years of the podcast have talked about the concept of like creating a new hard or raising the bar on hard. There ain't hard in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's you know, I was I was most excited for this moment. To see in you the like the difference in how everything else looks now that you're a conquistador. I mean, when you when you pass, so I've done two rides just since we've been back. We got back what four or five days ago. I had reentry at the shop and was kind of happy to just like use that. Let's face it, as an excuse to like wait a couple of days to get on the bike. Um, but I did a ride that I do all the time, and I did a ride I've never done before. And when you pass them through the filter of something like Laruda, it's just different. It's not the same anymore. Yeah, steep's not steep, right? Steep's not steep. Like I don't. I'm gonna take the 50 or the 51. I took the 51 clean off the bike. Yeah. in Colorado <laughs> doesn't like, matter. You know, I, you know, throw I'm, a 34 on for can me. I, yeah, can I do a 34 up front and like a 10 to 32 stack in the back? Can you just put a road cassette on there? Because yeah. I don't need any of those other like yeah. new steep. You know, we we got back we got back Wednesday, right? Like late, like yeah. I mean, technically like one in the morning. We'll call it Thursday morning. Thursday morning at 1 a.m. <laughs> as we're waiting for our bikes that didn't show up and stayed in Houston, but um. We had the team ride Thursday night and there was some like questions about Green Mountain. Like, hey guys, there's mud. It's closed. It's not going to open. It did open. So we rode and there was mud on the trail. And I just chuckled as I splashed directly through all the mud 
because I'm, I told everyone on the ride, this ain't mud. Y'all don't know mud. You don't know mud. Like, you don't even begin to know mud. <laughs> I just finally washed my shoes from day one. And yeah. like, it just keeps coming out. Like, you're like rinsing it and you're like, oh, it looks clean. And then you like squish out like the more brown water, the padding around like the ankle and yeah. more brown water comes out. You're yeah. just like, so I just soaked them for 12 hours. I think you guys were all funny because I had talked about how bringing multiple pairs of shoes is a requirement because two of them are probably going to stay in Costa Rica. And uh, May weather is different than November weather, so we didn't have as much moisture and rain, even though it's still a lot of moisture and whatnot. But, you know, mine stayed down there. I threw two pairs of shoes away. And um, you're finding out why now. Because I don't want to clean for an hour a pair of shoes. Two hours, right. three times, five well, times. Well, I did. So I, I had a like a um, how much effort I was going to put into it because they are two season old pair of shoes, right? With a lot of miles. So it was kind of like okay, if I can just like soak these and then hose them out and they're good, then I'm fine. Right. And after like my first kind of futile attempts at scrubbing, I was like, all right, I clearly just need to soak these. So I did. They came out fine. But yeah, it's a different kind of mud. Dude, <laughs> it's it's. Uh... You know, speaking of the different kind of mud, though, and we're gonna we're jumping all over the place. Yeah. We will bring some traction to this, I promise. But you know, they washed our bikes for us, right? And then they got them all ready for the next day. Each stage, the amount of crap we went through, and then to pick the bike up and it just worked flawlessly. It was uh, that doesn't even make sense. I think my new lube chain lube of choice is a five W thirty. The first time I go, Brian, uh, rub your rub your glove on your chain, and he did, and I go, smell your glove, and he did, and I go, what does that smell like? He's like <laughs> motor oil. I'm like, yep, that's what it is. Yeah. So uh, you know what, motor oil, a lot cheaper than uh, ceramic muck off. Yep, works a dream too. <laughs> it works a dream. <laughs> so we uh, we're back from Costa Rica, and. Uh, I think the way the trip started and the way the trip finished can give us a good kind of way to arc this thing. Okay. Because the trip started pretty smooth with us hucking raw chicken at crocodiles. <laughs> yeah. And it finished with us taking up close portrait photos of the coolest sloth just hanging out on the side of the road. We got like within three feet, I mean, two like, feet. We could have pet it if we wanted like, to. Like Nat Geo style. Nat Geo. So we started hucking raw chickens to crocodiles and we finished taking up close and personal pictures of this cuddly little sloth. And, and like sandwiched a bike race and a bunch of and other sa- fun shit. <laughs> sandwiched a bunch of stuff in the middle. But we, I think that's where we got from because you go into a race and you're like race mind, race mode, and that's throwing chicken at crocodiles. Yeah. And then when you come through an experience that changes you yeah. from what you said the first day to <laughs> the jubilation that you had on day three, yeah. right? When you were just hammer festing in the pack and we just had the sprint day, uh, fastest 50 miles on a mountain bike ever. Ever. Um, you, get to, you get to come down off it on the backside. And yeah. So um, how did you feel those first couple of days, you know, before the race and as the race was starting? Like come, walking into that, you know, we spent this much time building energy i was so tuesday travel day i really made an effort to just like not be two days ahead of where we were mm-hmm. um so i made a conscious effort of in trying to enjoy traveling with you and abby and elander and molly and just like that experience of of getting to the place right the like in and of itself for my experience as a bike racer uh that was an adventure alone 
Well, we did run through an airport. Don't get it twisted. Like we full on ran through Houston on Tuesday. And then again on the following Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, I I really, on Tuesday, I was really just in the mindset of like, kind of just experiencing that and like really, really focusing on the, uh, you know, that, that just being in the moment, not worrying about Thursday morning too much yet. Having a little bit of like, concern about like how should like should I sleep on the plane should I not sleep on the plane in fact before we boarded in Denver I was like no I'm just gonna stay awake and I was like you know what I should probably just rest while I can rest and uh within minutes of the flight taking off I was out um until I came and interrupted you and stood by your seat and talked to you for two hours most of the flight which is fine like standing up (laughs) uh and then yeah just the adventure of like landing in Costa Rica and seeing what that was like and getting to the bus and like eating at some random ramen shop in San Jose, you know, and on and on and on. So really just trying to like kind of focus on that so that I wouldn't like lather myself up about Thursday morning. What about, oh, dude, we got out of that airport and it's just chaos. Every, every country is like that. Yeah. I haven't been to one. Like I've only been international three times in my life, but three for three, three for three. Airports <laughs> are crazy. Like you can't like, uh, that dude who was petting me profusely, like just stop! Like get your hands, leave me dude. Alone. Like, like, hey, we're still living in post-COVID world, bro. Uh, I like your hands don't look like they've seen water in a while. Why <laughs> are you still holding on to me? Like we're good. Yeah, we can carry our own bags. Like, yeah. do you see us? We are elite level athletes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was a weird thing too. Is like, and you would think I would be a little bit more sensitive to it coming from New Orleans, which has. In a lot of ways, it's a lot of like that hustler mentality. Right. Not like you're being hustled, but they're just like trying to like hustle dollars. Which I dig it. Um, I do, but like, don't be shady about it. Like that one guy that you're talking about. Yeah. He was like, beat. he was just like, if he had walked up to us and be like, hey man, I'll get you guys squared away. Give me five bucks. Right. Here's five bucks. I don't have to think about it anymore. But he was like hanging around, kind of acting like he worked there. Yeah. It wasn't really clear. Right. And then. Then we were like, no, dude, we're good. We got this. He kind of kept milling around. Like if he just was there, he would get money. He should have walked on to the next group yeah. of suckers because yeah. I let him hang out with us all the while knowing like, dude, I'm stiffing you hard. Like I'm not giving you any. Like, Well, the hilarious thing was at the end, I was the one that stiffed him because everybody <laughs> got into the, yeah. the van and I'm just like, all right, dude, like fist bump. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, the, of all the hustlers we saw. You know, around the airport in San Jose, the dude on the last day when we were coming back, and not to jump to that, but the dude who was an amputee, and he had... Um, oh, the soccer ball in he, traffic. Yeah, he's in the front of the traffic line, and he's got his arm canes, and he props his body weight up on the arm canes to use the only one leg that he has to dribble a soccer ball, do a whole routine. Yeah. That dude was dope. Like, yeah. Give that guy money. You yeah. earned it, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we landed and we yeah we ate food and we dry, and there's just um, you know the thing with Laruda which you know we didn't really talk about going into it because it just is what it is. There's so much just travel time, right? Like just a lot of van time, driving a lot of van time, and you know I was in the driver's seat, and so it's a different experience because I'm like I'm in control of what I'm doing, but to just be a passenger for that long took a lot of patience, I'm sure from from everyone back there in the van. It was just so I, um, of the people that sat in the back and the, like, I was only one of the few people that like experienced the front and the back. And so I think it was just two totally different experiences. And so I don't think that you were necessarily 
driving like a maniac. I just think the back of that van is just a rodeo. Yeah, I mean, it's a 12-passenger van, so it's a stretched van. Yeah. And the way we had to put the bike bags in the van, it created like a police barricade. A wall. From the front cab to the rest of the seats. Yeah. But like in the front, it was a very calm experience. So when we drove, again, kind of skipping ahead, but when we drove uh, from Puerto Viejo back to San Jose, I was in back for almost, well, for that whole ride. Five hours. And it was rowdy as fuck. <laughs> um, and then... Once we checked into our accommodations that night and then went to the Starbucks farm, uh, I rode in the front. And I know you weren't driving different. Right. Necessarily. Same driver. Same driver, same roads, same roads basically. Yeah. Uh, and it was like that. I don't think there would have been any way for you to gauge how to drive so that the back didn't get their asses kicked. Yeah, probably isn't <laughs> a way to do it without taking three times as long to get right. everywhere. Exactly. I mean, so, the roads are two lane, not like we. The pitches on some of those pitch, like you're drive, you're driving up thirty five percent grade. Yeah. Like I don't even know how the van wheels were staying on the road. Yeah. It was crazy. Yep, it's like going up a ski slope. It's crazy, but yeah, the travel time was a bigger factor, um, which I think there was part of me that, you know, we we end, we ultimately ended spending what three days in Puerto Viejo. Yeah, like part of me was. A little bit like, oh, I want to explore. Like, I'm probably realistically maybe not going to travel back to Costa Rica. So, like, I want to see what there is to see. But then another part of me was like, there's a shitload to do right here, and I'll have to get back in that fucking van. <laughs> <laughs> or pack my bags again. Or pack my bags again, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, the. And then what was the drive to the Los Sueños? It was like three hours, right? Yeah, like two and a half hours, hours. give or take. Um, Break it up with a, a, a crocodile feeding. Yeah, so just for those of you that I keep saying, what, what are you talking about? There's a bridge that you go over uh, as you're approaching uh, the west coast of Costa Rica, and it's where freshwater dumps from the jungle into the ocean, and a bunch of crocodiles live in there. And uh, they have signs for crocodiles and whatnot, but I knew from a trip in 2017 or 16, no, way back, I'm sorry, a trip from like 2012, uh, a bus driver stopped us there and we got raw chicken. So I knew we had to replicate that. And uh, the only raw chickens I could buy were from the closest restaurant that I ran to while you guys were on the bridge. And they were already all seasoned up with like more garlic and salt. Like they were, they were this, ready to be eaten. The seasoning smelled so good. Dude, it smelled so <laughs> I had the, you know, only because I'm a cerebral person did I not lick my hands because they right, smelled yeah. so good with the garlic. Uh, but yeah, hucking those, hucking those crocodiles. And then we stayed at Los Sueños, that Marriott, which is just, I don't know how you travel, like domestically, but I don't I don't click that star level when I book my own. No. On Hotels.com, the app, because yeah. I get the free nights, yeah. right? And I love the dude's suit on the commercials. Yeah. Um, I, I never clicked that. Like, that was a yeah. bad-ass resort. It was a great hotel. Uh, it's not a hotel. It was a resort. We stayed like, two nights. What, two or three restaurants in it? Yeah, like, like in it, and then there was closer ones that you could walk to. Yeah, by the marina, and we had like, you know, you're when you're in the pool and you go, oh shoot, I forgot a towel, and a guy just hears towel. You know, sir, would you guys like to just bring you towels? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. do. <laughs> uh, so it was cool because you could. There was like this. Uh, first of all, rewind just a little bit. I cannot imagine for a second. There was a number of people who traveled and picked up packets and got their bikes ready all on Wednesday. Race started on Thursday. I can't like cannot wrap my head around that concept. Like it was never a question to me that we uh, were gonna fly in on Tuesday. But 
just seeing other people. There's a guy who was walking around on Wednesday at packet pickup with his wheel in his hand looking for a quick release skewer. Like walking up to everybody like, dude, do you have do you have do you have a skewer a spare skewer with you? I was like, bro, I haven't even owned a bike that uses a quick release skewer since like 2012. Right, right. Never mind like brought a spare one with me to a foreign country. Yeah, no, the uh you know not by design. I, I traveled in on a Wednesday one year because we got turned around mid flight um, and had to stay the night in Texas, which was a whole ordeal. And it was terrible because yeah, that you talk about wanting to settle into the travel routine on Tuesday and just kind of like absorb it and not worry too much about Thursday. When it's Wednesday, all you can worry about is th- like that energy is terrible. Um, there was a group this year. Uh, we met with Ty Hall from Leadville and, the, and a few other of the Cloud City Wheelers from Leadville. They do the race every year also. And Is that who those people are? They, I, 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 okay. Yeah. Got it. So they have the Tennessee Pass um, – like green and white, that green kit. and white kit. Because Ty, Ty and Roxanne Hall own the Tennessee Pass uh, hut, which is where they do like fat bike races out of, but snowshoeing and Nordic skiing and all that. And Ty is the uh, he's the chase guy at Leadville every year. For That's the why he looks so fucking familiar. Yeah. God, man, I was like, so like, there's the three or four women that were riding yep. with them, and then and, one tall dude with a beard, right? And then I guess Ty and Ty, and who's like I, the most jacked. I recognize Ty. In uh, at the the garden suites or whatever on the on the second night, right? Um, but I could not. I mean, I was. Let's face it. Like I was in severe <laughs> mental deficit. <laughs> so, we'll get to it because you rubber you snap back like the tightest rubber band anyone's ever seen. But boy, it was one deal <laughs> before that snap. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, but I rode like the I. Kind of like jockeyed throughout the race with the women that were racing for for that group, yeah, uh, a lot. And I saw them at at Aid One on the first day, and uh, that was uh, like they had a Cycles of Life mm-hmm. uh, jersey on, yep, uh, from the the shop up in Leadville. And I was like, "Oh, Colorado, like I'm Denver." And then we just referred to each other as Leadville and Denver for the rest of it, because like they told like we did names, like, yeah. Yeah. One of them remembered my name, but the rest of them, and myself included, I, cu- I couldn't tell you their names right now to save my life. Yeah, Ty is uh, Ty's the man. So, yeah, he's the chase yeah. guy. The, yep. one that starts the guy last. who starts last and raises yeah. money for every person he passes. Correct. Yep. And he runs, he does a sub nine every year he does it. Passes a lot of fucking people. Dude, so one year, he caught up to me, and I had already met him in LaRuda. So, I met him in LaRuda at 18, and then we experienced it together in 19. And then, so, we have this, like, only see you in Costa Rica relationship. Totally. yeah. And so he caught me one year at Leadville. I think it was my single speed year. And uh, and I instantly knew. I'm like, oh, I'm riding like shit. And I didn't. I ran like an 830 <laughs> eight or something like, like that. It was sub 840 for uh, yeah. sure. And, and I'm like, and he caught me and it inspired me because then I dropped him. I'm like, this is some bullshit. You ain't going to catch me, dude. Yeah. I'm not going to be part I'm not gonna be part of that list. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you ain't making money on me. There's a lot of lists I'm okay to be on. That ain't it. That ain't it. <laughs> Uh, he, yeah, so he's a phenomenal rider and just yeah. like the nicest dude. Yeah. And so, um, anyhow, that group was out there. I don't know where I was going with this. I don't know why I brought him up, but, uh, you know, other than them and, and, you know, Alex Howes and Lachlan, yeah. there weren't a lot of Americans racing. There was, Did you uh, notice that? The uh, Hawaiian, the Aloha guy, the yeah. other single speed psychopath. Yep. The other single speed guy. 
And that was, I met one guy who I think just did La Siesta. Yeah, there was a, a, a husband wife that did La Siesta and they stayed with us in our hotel at the Wayabo Lodge yeah. after day two. Yeah. And uh, Abby, you know, I was kind of, I'm kind of working on Abby to do. To, to do, do some version of this? Yeah, I mean, we'll get to, look, you can be a great mountain bike athlete. You can be a great cyclist. You could be a super fit athlete, but it takes another element of adventure to complete LaRuta, right? An un, uh, undes- indescribable asset is needed to just continue. And yeah. Abby has that. Like she has, she can take a walloping and just come back the next day and come back the next day. And so I think she'd be really good at it. Well, this damn lady at Wyalba Lodge did just the La Siesta. And Abby's like, oh, well, what'd you think of it? And the girl goes, never, ever again. <laughs> she talked about day one that way. So I think, uh, I think that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and okay. So let's, let's try to, try to we, you and I haven't talked about this. We experienced yeah. it and yeah. then we went on vacation with family. Yeah. And then, and then it was like, we got to, when we finally got back to Denver, I was like, bye dude. Did you notice I was willing to take an $80 Uber to go 15 miles versus ask you for a ride to our house? Yeah. That's which is <laughs> um, fine. Because, but just because it was like, okay. I was sitting there. We all need to breathe. I was sitting there thinking, going, I mean, I'm going to say yes if he asks, but I sincerely hope he doesn't ask. <laughs> yeah. Abby, Abby said we were walking to the van. Um, our bikes didn't show up. I thought my van key was in my bike bag, zippered in there in a secure location. Come to find out my van key is where my van key always is. I'm not going to tell anyone on the podcast because <laughs> you could steal the van. But I, for some reason, didn't remember putting it in the gas cap. And so I... <laughs> I was like leery whether or not we had the key to the van or not, but I was not going to ask you to drive us home at one in the morning. Like, so yeah. So, uh, let's pull this together. Yeah. Yeah. We got pulled together. Uh, <laughs> we hadn't talked and that's why we're, yeah. we're, so the first day of the race starts at sunrise. Yep. And the call to arms is a 3am alarm down to an amazing breakfast buffet. Yeah. Mind you. Killer breakfast. Uh, and then you gear up, and get ready, and you're on the beach, and you line up. Yep. How good of a job do they do? Like, I think people talk shit about Leadville, and I think Leadville's a beautiful event because of the job that they do to build up the, like, pomp and circumstance of it. How good of a job does LaRuta do at that start line? It's good. They need to, like, diversify the playlist a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> they had, like, three songs. Well, they want they want, they want want you to start with... Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle yeah. every time. And so they just kind of are looping it in. Like, are we starting yet? I don't know. We're not starting. Yeah. We are starting. Um, but it was cool. Like the excitement, like the, uh, it's lining up for what you know is to come. And, and that's, it's, it's a funny way to say like in your brain, you know, what is to come, right. but you don't know what's to come. You just don't. Hang on. Let's stick with that asterisk for a second. Yeah. It was my job to prepare you for this event. Yeah. Having now done the event, do you see how my job is limited in its ability to truly get you to understand what was required for LaRuda? Like, I'm sure there's going to be critiques you can give me to be to do better for others. But like at a point, you just really can't prepare for like what you learned at the end of it, no. day one. So I have very mixed emotions about how my race went. Because I had much loftier goals for day one than what ultimately sussed out. 
Uh, I didn't think I was going to be like 10 hours, but I didn't think I was going to be 13 hours either. Um, and you go through a lot, you have a lot, there's a lot of emotions and a lot of just like internal dialogue. Um, especially for someone like you who builds a mental map yep. and really likes like to, how's this going to go and execute the mental map. But I, yeah. you know, I, I deviated your map before the race even started because with us in our brilliant, no ride around kits, I pulled all of us to the front. Yep. And so you had to be, you I were just, at the front yeah. of the non-pro field. Yep. At the start. Yeah. Which made for great photos. No, it was great photos. Um, but out of your comfort yeah. zone immediately. So I, I genuinely, I, I mean, I'm the best mountain biker fitness-wise than I've been. Full stop. And it's been an evolution over, you know, seven years. But what we, the, the focus that we approached my training with from January 1 all the way through May 23rd or 25th or whatever day it started was unlike anything we've ever done. Um, I didn't miss a workout. I didn't miss an interval. Like everything was tracking exactly how it should, as far as our ability to, you know, hit numbers, hit goals, hit mileage, hit hours. Um, I just don't think there's a way to prepare for that first day unless, and I, I say this jokingly, but I also mean it is like, Start a mountain bike ride, like ride your mountain bike ride to a tough mudder, do the tough mudder, and then do another 45 miles of climbing. Yeah. Do that yeah. once a week and you'll be set. You'll be set. <laughs> that, so, but like, yeah. In, in, in all reality, there is. When you're doing the tough mudder, though, you have to bring your bike with you. Yeah, you have to like get the bike over through, the yeah, obstacles like it comes and shit. through yeah. the tough mudder yeah, with you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because that, that is exactly what, what it that's is. That's what it is. I mean, that, that middle jungle section, not even middle. It's like, <laughs> so I think you hit the jungle at about 20 miles. Right. From town. So from town roll out. Yeah. Mellow, mellow, sustained dirt, like steep as shit, yeah. but sustained, but still it's, it's, you know what it is. So it was hilarious. Cause if you look at the day, 20 miles is creeping up on about a third of the course. Yeah, so you're thinking, I'm feeling good. You're like, and I looked down, I was like, oh, 20 miles, it's been about two hours. Like, I know we're going to slow down a little bit, but that's not a bad pace. Um, And then I feel like it was an hour later and it was like 20.5 miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The- I swear to fucking God, man. Like the, <laughs> that day one is built to cripple you. Yes, it is. But it, there's just nothing like it because... I mean, even I have to imagine even in the pro field, like sure they're skilled enough maybe to ride down that shit, but there's no riding up that stuff. So, you know, it's the third time I've seen it. Yeah. So naturally you're gonna be better, right? Yeah. I rode there's only one part of the jungle that I walked my bike down and uh-huh. I only walked it because I was one foot riding it uh-huh. and pegging like off the sidewall, and then my whole bike slipped out from underneath me, spun 180 degrees, <laughs> I went catapult. Landed on my ass, like kind of like as I was sliding down a hill, very gracefully actually, yeah. <laughs> to the point I kind of like tadad when I stood up, yeah. and then carried my bike the rest of the way. But other than that, yeah, I rode down every piece of the jungle that you could ride down. But I passed a shit ton of people doing that because it's like it's very high consequence. Yep, riding down like like it's not worth it consequence. But what in my situation, I only had one gear, so I was taking advantage of all free mileage. Right, but um. It's very, very high consequence. Yeah, so you're walking down and you're walking up. 
And it's no easier for the front of the field um, putting together the GoPro footage. But it's maybe like the, maybe the only easier factor is less traffic, but, yeah. as is often the case with something like this. If you get stuck in a conga line, you're just you're that's your pace, right? So I was I was ahead of that, which was nice. Yeah. But uh, there was at one point I turned the camera around on myself, and uh, I was pushing my bike up one of those steep bastards. And I said to the camera, you know, a lot of people ask, like, what's the hardest race? And Leadville 100 is like a really hard race. And guys, we have just passed the elevation game <laughs> for the Leadville 100, and we're at 42 miles. Yeah. So, like, we had climbed all of the elevation at Leadville. Granted, it wasn't at elevation, but it wasn't a jungle within, like, the first 42, 45 miles. Yeah. So, like, is it twice as hard then? It's a different hard. You just can't qualify it or quantify it or no. qualify it or fucking anything. It, you like, can't anything. It. You can't prepare for it um, except for, you know, I've, if you remove the terrain out of it, I've been up against that wall before, right? I've been up against that. I want to stop at this aid station and just stop. I want to, but if you just don't stop, the end shows up. <laughs> The end shows up. And that, <laughs> you know, um, you and I talked about that at the start line of day two briefly because there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of time. There, well, yeah. And like, you know, there's not, it's not always a great time to go into some big philosophical conversation. Right. And right. So, right. Uh, the only thing that we talked about on day two was just don't stop. Like if you're walking a mile an hour, yep. literally just don't stop. And that will be the only way to survive this stage. Which is where you rubber band snapped back like a fucking champion. It was amazing. But that's the key for the whole race. And uh, maybe could have flexed harder in that on day. Like you can't stop moving the bike. Yep. Um, And it's crazy because – so I think I make an assumption when I see people at aid stations like, dude, there was people at aid stations stopping, taking off their jersey, eating, sitting down. And by virtue of the fact that they look Hispanic, I'm like, well, if they're being that casual about it, they're from here and they've probably done this before. So they know what they need to do. Yeah. And so if I've caught them and passed them, then I'm in good shape. And then it turns out there was 130 DNFs on the first day. Which is just, I mean, something like, yeah, what, 30% of the field? 30% of the field. It's crazy. Yeah. And and those people... You know, they threw the La Siesta people in there. So they're really only there for one day. Yeah. So they're not worried about needing to finish to get done. Like, they're, yeah. they, maybe that was just their joyride. So they do, you know, there were, I think it were like potato tacos and all kinds of amazing things at those aid stations. I don't know. I went through them like a border. Uh, there was not. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like there was. Well, because like it kept having a tortilla company advertising the next yeah, aid station. There, there was one aid station the whole race that had anything remotely related to burrito. Uh, and it was none of the days. So we had, um, we had arranged some neutral support with star cars and they did the best they could given the fact that they had elite level riders that they had to prioritize. Um, but to kind of add to my duress and I was just so in it, like I finished and I was like, I didn't get my aid at three out of five aid stations. You were just like, yeah, I just used the stuff that was there. And I'm like, that thought didn't even fucking occur to me. Okay, <laughs> if I don't have what I have, I have nothing. Well, but you you you're shelled. Yeah, it's just completely shelled. But also, it's weird in that it's this marquee flagship massive event for 
Costa Rica, um, and there's clearly a, a, a decent chunk of money behind it and big attendance. It's sold out, right? It's probably already sold out for next year uh, or close anyway, I would bet. Um, there's not really like sports nutrition at the aid stations. Well, so this is also take a step, take another step back, right? We passed throughout our travels, we passed a ton of sodas, right? Like little shops, uh-huh. stores. Yeah. What is like the number one thing bought, sold, and advertised in terms of like food throughout all of Costa Rica is junk food. Yeah. It's soda, chips, yeah. you know, um, it's where the U.S. was in the 70s. Okay. In the 80s, right? Yeah. Where processed junk food, Nabisco, like garbage yeah. shit is out there. And that's where they are now. And so you see just this junk food culture. Right. Right. Um, for grab and go, because most of the people then who don't live in the cities are eating off of their land. So it's all wholesome and quality food. Right, so when right. they go to the sodas, they yeah. want to buy dog shit. They're, and yeah. So, they're like, I want yeah. nacho sun chip Dorito things. Totally. And the aid stations were full of a lot of like that type. Like, I, ha- I don't know the last time I drank a full diesel Gatorade in yeah. my adult life. And uh, actually, I do remember when it was. It was on Pikes Peak, and this kid had a half-frozen orange Gatorade, and he was part of a Boy Scout troop, and you were the glorious little man that I ever met in my entire life, little buddy. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm drinking a full Gatorade. I'm eating, like, you know, you're just kind of at the mercy of what's there yep. and trying to remember that, like, anything is something. And I definitely, like, I did it, but, like, I just was, like, allowing myself to, so stage one, there's five aid stations, and we, like, we did the thing. We got drop bags and we put our name on them and what aid and strategize. Like I strategize like, Hey, like these two bottles, one of them is raspberry carbo rocket with caffeine. Cause at that point in the day, I'm going to want caffeine. Right. Like, and it just didn't matter. I mean, like, we rolled into our aid station and the support crew that we had didn't speak English and yep. we didn't speak Spanish. Yeah. Luckily no. the guy recognized us. Like he was good. And like when I rolled into aid one, um, he like he saw me locked eyes, pointed at my number, and like waved me over. But then it just like there was nobody at aid two. There's nobody at aid three. I got to aid four. They didn't have my bottles, and they they had like Amir and Brian's empty bottles. And then nobody was at aid five, right? Like, yeah. Got, so yeah, I, I just all. allowed myself to like instead of just and it's a lesson like yeah. any other race like Silver Rush fifty. Last year, I went through more bottles than I had with me because I just stopped at every aid station and just got what they had. Yeah. Do you want hydration or calories? Calories every time. Yeah. And I just did that for the whole race to make sure I always had calories on board. And like, I, be, but because it was, I don't know what they use, scratch or goo or whatever the fuck. Um, in my head, I'm like, well, this is what my body needs. But I roll up to these aid stations in Costa Rica and they have bananas, so I'm like stuffing pockets full of bananas, um, and then I like kind of blew off Gatorade, even though like it's fucking sugar and carbs and like yeah. sweet drink, like yeah. get it, son. So I just uh, like if I were to ever do it again, I don't think I would worry about drop bags, and I would just lean into the aid stations, yeah. which is what Derek ended up doing yeah. successfully. The aids worked out well. You know, for a few of us, and you yeah. could just see, like, as the race progressed, they just got, they they fixed it because on day two, 
they had one aid car for the first half of the race yeah. and a different aid car for the second half of the race because I think they realized like, oh wow, our group's a little too stretched out to, yeah. to satisfy the demands of both. Sure. When I rolled into aid one, I saw my bottles in my clear bag uh-huh. labeled aid one and I'm pointing at them and they're going through all the other bags of bottles right in front of mine. And I didn't have the words in Spanish to say those pink bottles right there. <laughs> so I'm looking at them and I'm like barking like, <laughs> and they won't grab the pink bottles. I had to like grab like the reach bottles in. myself. Yeah. And so yeah, there was just, you know, um, and again, there was a variable that I guess, you know, it's kind of learn Spanish. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I will say going on this trip made me be like, dude, you should like, before you're like too much older, you should learn how to speak something other than American. Like, <laughs> like. Yeah. Barking at pink bottles yeah, doesn't no. get the pink bottles like, in your hands. There's like a part of me that was like, I felt genuinely bad as an American. Just like, I'm just a shit. Like I'm polite, but like I'm an ignorant American that couldn't really be tasked with learning like some basic Spanish for the trip. <laughs> so uh day one co- continues can you get out of the jungle and you think once you're out of the jungle you go cool i'm out of the jungle but then you get introduced to steep roads yeah. and steep climbs i mean there were spots you know i had made rules on on the single speed i made rules like okay if you can't hold three miles an hour pedaling walk and if the gradient gets above 18 percent, walk those right. were my two rules yeah and i lived at them fast and hard yeah. um I was training a guy this morning about that because he, he's going to be doing some hiking on his next races. And I said, you have to create firm, fixed rules so that you can, A, have the brakes when needed, but B, not like create too many brakes, right? right? Because you can start walking and go, well, this feels good. And then when do I get on the bike again? So right. creating hard and fast rules. Well, the second half of the race, day one, when you get out of the jungle, I was walking a lot. I mean, I'm walking up pavement a lot. And people are yelling at me. Oh, fuerte, fuerte, arriba, ride, ride. And they look at me and they go, oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the thing that separates day one from any bike race that I've ever done in my life is it just hits and hits and hits and hits and hits and a little break and hits and hits. But the hits are more than the breaks, big time. And oftentimes, if you're climbing 13,000 feet, 14,000 feet, it's a pretty safe bet you're going to descend about that too. And I need to go figure out how to look at it, but I bet we descended about as half as much as we climbed. Well, you know this. San Jose is in the mountains where they grow right, coffee. Right. And we started on the beach where right. they surf. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, it was a one-way ride uphill. Yeah. So it's just oftentimes, especially racing in Colorado, where basically it's one-to-one almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, climb to descent. Um, you can kind of factor that into your your overall time for the day. You can factor that into your effort, your fueling, uh, on and on and on. Um, but on day one, every descent, instead of feeling like it was progressing you to the start line, every second of downhill felt like it was doing more harm than good. Well, Well, let's jump into one specific example so you can relive that. Um, and I have video footage of this whole segment. So uh, later on, yes, we'll put it on the No Ride Arounds YouTube. There'll be short videos, but then there'll be one really long, like three and a half hour video. I don't expect you to watch the whole thing, but maybe in the background, just to really experience like the whole thing because we got all three days. But this stretch of single track is about two and a half miles. And I videoed the whole thing. The one like toward, towards the end, the single track with the rocks and the roots and the throw your bike up 
onto the thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That's their single track. Yeah. And it was, you know, I had the camera going. And anytime I need motivation to ride well by myself, I just put a GoPro on because I think those of you listening <laughs> are going to watch it. Yep. And I'm like, why? Well, I got to step up. So I rode as much of that as possible. Again, right. high risk, yeah. little reward. Uh, but boy, that's what they call single track. So when I got to that point, I was like, I need this downhill to be making up time for me. Mm-hmm. And I took some extremely unnecessary risks. <laughs> Because I needed it to be working. I needed it was hard and it was very technical. And when I hit it, it was raining at a pretty good clip. But I needed because it, it's pavement into that section, right? Pavement into it. So the pavement was fast. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh sweet. But then it's like basically it's just this random fucking turn off of the pavement and you're in this canopy. It's more jungle shit, but now it's got rocks and roots and like hike a bike rocks. Like, yeah. like basically the apex gut. Yep. For two yeah. and a half miles. Yeah, very much. That like you've that. never seen before, and it's really dark, and yeah. it's much narrower. Like yep. it's true single track. It's all the way single track. But I, at that point, I was just like, I need for this to be ten miles a, an hour. A benefit. Yeah. I need. 15, I need yeah. it to be faster than me off and walking over rocks. Yeah. And so I, there was some stuff I walked for sure. Um, there was some stuff like some sometimes riding technical terrain is like trying to do like a, a puzzle. And when your brain's just in such deficit, like solving that puzzle just ain't happening. So like I definitely rode or like hopped off for some stuff. Yeah. But I, I it, it needed to be fast um, relative to, to the rest of the day. Well, and then you cross that river towards the bottom of that single track. And that's the spot you talk to. You have to like lift your bike up over a eight foot, bol- six foot boulder. You like kind of have to throw your bike. Yeah. The, when I got to it, a guy racing for the AMPM team, he's actually a really fast dude. He was like, He's a fast dude, which means he couldn't do a push-up for $100. And so he's trying to figure out how to get his bike up there. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how to get him out of my way. And so I have to help him. just take his bike? Yeah, so he climbs up, (laughs) and I hand him his bike. And I thought for a second he was going to take off. I'm like, hey. Like, grab my bike. If you you take off, I will hunt you down. Right. And you're going to need more than a gas station convenience mart to fix you. Yeah. And so so then I hand him my bike, and then he won't let me pass him. And I'm like, I didn't pass him. Anyway, um... It was a two-man job. So for you in yeah. the rain yeah. and kind of darker because it's yeah. raining. No, it was dark. By yourself, lifting it up. Over, like, I just threw it. Yeah. I, in my life, never thought I would throw a $12,000 bike up a rocky hill. But no, I you did. Just, you, you hucked it. <laughs> I just hucked it. There was no other choice. No, there's, it's, it's a tall-ass boulder. Like it's, and then it's like muddy too. So then like even climbing up, it was not really like once the bike's up there that's only like half the problem well how much of the like those steep roads some of them had like that lichen growing on them like a moss almost uh-huh so it was like it was hard to walk up the roads yep, yep. there's some stuff but when you say steep roads i mean i think you know here in colorado we have like oh my god road which is not really a road but it's really fucking steep or you think like a couple uh, of the switchbacks at lookout yeah i think or, that's the best way to think of it when you're riding up lookout mountain after the halfway point, there are two switchbacks that are like standing up all your power to stay vertical. That gradient for two miles. I mean, it's no shit 30%, right? Like it's, some of those paved roads. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I was just looking come, at the numbers. Yeah. You just come around a corner and there is a wall of pavement in front of you. Yeah. And it. so there were some things that I was thinking about. I'm sure there were a lot of things you were thinking about. 
Yeah. And it, it like, it kind of went from like being grumpy to just kind of like questions about how do you approach this race? Cause you know, we graduated me to a, gra- a bigger chain ring this year and it's been fine here in Colorado. Um, and when, you know, we were talking about like these hard, hard numbers, like these, these, like not so much ceiling, but a floor, like, yeah, Hey, what's, what's your, the what's lowest? your, what's your power? Like, what's your power, your floor power going to be, uh, like that we don't go below. And you said something like 200 on the, pre-ride. Yeah. and I said, how about 180? Yeah. 180 is a basement power. Whatever the case it was. Didn't matter because my power meter shit the bed in the jungle <laughs> and was telling me I was doing 1800 Watts. <laughs> Harley uh, set a new FTP at yeah. 640. Yeah, basically. I am uh, 8 watts per kilo now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, like, the, the analytical bike guy who has been on course for 12 hours and, you know, is just trying to think of things. I'm like, well, so with a 32 tooth, like, on a steep climb, I'm going to be at 150% of FTP. So like does bringing a 28 tooth matter? Does it keep you on the bike more or are you just going the same fucking speed, but you're on the bike and not walking like, yeah. And ultimately what I landed on is bring a fucking 36. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You're walking. <laughs> you're walking. That's why. So day one in day two, I was on, I mean, I'm a single speed the whole time. Yeah. I didn't really feel a penalty much on right. day one and day two. Back half a day two, probably. Back half a day, just actually once I got to the city. Uh, right. That that yep. flat rollout. That section. flat rollout. Section. So that's like the last like four miles. Yeah. But day one, the only difference between my three years, right, geared in eighteen, geared in nineteen, and single speed this year, was that when we got when we approached that first six mile climb, I got off pretty much right away, and I just hiked at three miles an hour. Right. And a lot of people that I was riding with off the front pulled away. Mm-hmm. I caught more than half of them in the jungle, and I caught almost the other half of them after the jungle on those steep roads because they're in their 50 tooth. But they're doing the zigzag thing. they're zigzagging, and I'm just walking straight up. Yeah. And so I didn't really have a penalty day one and day two with the single speed, which speaks to your point. Two less teeth or four less. It wasn't going to matter. You had to bring a 26? Yeah, like... 26 tooth chain ring? Like at a point... So you're on the bike. Cool. Maybe you feel the accomplishment of sitting on the bike. Think of Breck Epic. Like you could probably t- ride to the top of Wheeler, like clean all that stuff. Sure. But what the hell would be the point? Right. Like there wouldn't be a yield other than just flexing your muscles and saying I rode to the top of Wheeler. Yep. Everyone walks that last bit because it doesn't make sense to ride it. I think once you get above thirty percent, that's just the rule. Like it doesn't make You're sense to, matches to ride no up a ski hill. No. So, um, but I hear you when you're you're trying to like you know make that decision in there and you're like, well, what's right. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is when something's like so hard, there's really no right. It's just get through. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of like, so I, everybody had a good day. I mean, I think you and Brian and Amir and Elander all hit kind of what you wanted to hit time wise. I finished, which was really just at a certain point, the goal, it was yeah. just a fucking battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the, Okay, so um, there are races that people do to race for a finish. Like think of like the Rattler races here in town and like stuff like that, right? And then there are races you do to like just I did that thing, which is why Leadville gives out buckles, right? right? Like you can get 1,314th place at Leadville overall 
and have a shiny buckle, yeah. right? Because that is the thing. This race, I think for almost everybody is, man, I did it. The difference is that there isn't the ability for people below like a cycling ability of seven out of 10 right. to even finish. So like there aren't there aren't those like cute stories of the eighty six year old dude who like finished the ride like yeah. look at him eighty six done the race for thirty years. like that guy doesn't do this event the person who's like couch to event or I just started biking last year and now look at me like you you don't even have a chance like you got to be a seven to finish yep yeah I mean there and I think that you know doing Leadville hardest one day race in the world. Um, well, if we count La Siesta as a one-day race, fuck you, Leadville. <laughs> and that's saying I love Leadville. Like, I have gushed over Leadville. Yeah. But it's not the hardest one-day race if you consider that LaRuda has a version of the first day, which is just one day. It is many, many orders <laughs> of magnitude harder. Okay, so so you did – effectively, you did the hardest one-day race you've ever done in your life. Yep. But then we got done, and you had to do it again. Yeah, I. Um, so let's get there because, I mean, I'm gonna like I'm not gonna hide it. I'm not gonna omit it. I wanted to quit. I was ready to quit. I was genuinely ready to quit, <laughs> and it wasn't <sighs> any one single thing, uh, except for that. It was everything. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, have you ever been that shelled? I've never been in that shelled. Ever. I've never had that short of a. I mean, so I finished late, and I have to have an immense amount of gratitude for you and Mental and Elander and Amir because you guys could not get back to the hotel and start recovering until I finished. Yeah, I mean, just I was at the finish line for five hours. Yeah, like that's just and. There's no way for me to get around that. Yeah. There's no way for you to get around yeah. that. It just is what it is. But like, at the same time, like, I try to be a conscientious teammate, and so like, especially for Elander and Amir, who are like chasing podiums like yeah. pretty aggressively, like that's a pretty big ask. Um, and so you know, for that to just be the reality that we all had to live in, and for those two guys to be for Elander to be the first voice I heard, the first person you saw, he's he's chasing you yeah. at the finish line. Um, you know, I think that says a ton about that kid in general. Um, and then just kind of what, what we're about in general. Um, but it was what, six o'clock, six fifteen, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, we still had to get me out of my disgusting clothes. So I didn't get in the van, get to the hotel, get checked in, get fed, get showers, get to bed and do it all again. At 3 a.m. And, and you were going to be racing again in less than 11 hours. It was way less than 11 hours. I mean, by the time we were at the hotel. No, yeah, for yeah, sure. But I mean, yeah. from the moment from you the crossed moment I crossed the finish, finish line, line, it was less than 11 I mean, hours. You had to be geared up to do it again. It was like, it was fast turnaround. I think I got to maybe got four hours of sleep that night. I could probably go back and look at my whoop and tell you, but it was in the area of four to four and a half hours. Uh, on the heels of already getting five hours the night before. Yeah. How about, um, you know, I think that we all have like moral codes, right? We have moral codes. Um, I think part of the reason that you didn't quit is part of your moral code. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have. I just had to live in the fantasy for two minutes while we were sitting at breakfast. Yeah. 
We'll get to breakfast. Because, uh, <laughs> wow. I, we'll get to breakfast. Um, sometimes our moral code can really be uh, detrimental, our, our need to commit to it. Because when I got up and walked away from that dinner without having gotten my dinner, <laughs> because that waiter was so absolutely just unaccommodating... And I walked upstairs and ate dried granola for dinner. Right after that day, really kind of did yourself a disservice. I really did myself a disservice in honor of your moral code. In honor of my moral code, but <laughs> that guy was so bad. He was bad. It was it was horrible. And, and and we waited an hour, and he knew who we were, what we were there for, what we had again at three in the morning, and all that. And and I, I was just, I was so disgusted that I got up from that dinner table. I didn't even eat. I walked. Remember, I was like, I can't even do this. Yeah, you just left. I'm done. I went yeah. upstairs. I ate dried granola. Packets of peanut butter, and was like, I'm not doing this. Um, so when I got to breakfast in the morning, I was quite excited to eat warm food because I hadn't had warm food. <laughs> yeah, dry granola and peanut butter. The previous, uh, since, well, since two nights earlier at dinner. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, overnight oats for, yeah. for race one. Yeah. So we get to breakfast, and, uh, and well, you're at breakfast. At least the shell of you is at breakfast. Dude, I was a ghost walking down there. Bro, you were like, and I say this with, like, you're one of my top few people in the world, okay, that I care about. But you looked like recycled pig shit. I felt. That, that's a, <laughs> Just a, like, it's a pretty good summary of how the you, fuck I felt. The, the, you were dude, watching you poke at that papaya in those scrambled dude, I eggs. I couldn't eat. I couldn't fucking eat. Like, it was, I forced down a quarter of a waffle, some papaya, pa- uh, pineapple, cantaloupe, and watermelon, like half a cup of coffee and like two bites of eggs. Like I forced it and then almost threw it up in the elevator. Yeah, we were in the elevator riding and, and you're like, dude, I'm going to throw up in this elevator. I, I um, was really going to. Like I was like chewing it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a, you know, this whole event. Um, well, we'll get to it when I do like an overview because I had a very, it was very interesting for me, but I felt a great sense of duty to you. Uh, and the rest of the group, but like primarily to you over the rest, maybe Elander, like yeah. close to that, um, a sense of duty because my it was it was partially one hundred percent of my job to it, get you ready, and one hundred percent of your job to do the thing. Together, yeah. we were two hundred percent. So I felt a lot of responsibility. So in that moment of like watching recycled pig shit, like fork around some fruit, I'm thinking, what can I say? To bring, to bring, to help bring Harley around. He's going to ultimately have to bring himself around. What can I say to help? Like, what coach thing can I say? And the truth is, I think you always need to know both your audience and your timing. And that's why I looked at you and there was no coach. There's no Tony Robbins. Like, I didn't put my giant banana finger hands on your head. (laughs) You know, like, I just, I just sat there and I said, well, Harley, you got, you really just got two choices. And you can go forward. Or you pack it in. And that was the, I think that's that was the only words I said. I mean, it was, yeah, it really was. I mean, it was, I mean, you, you on the elevator ride, cause you, for whatever fuck it was worth, you gave me two CBD pills. Yeah. I, cause it was something I could give you. <laughs> okay. Like, Here, just take this. Cause I don't know what to it's, do with my hands right it's, now. It's why they give ibuprofen to dudes in like World War II. They just got a mortar round through their chest. <laughs> totally. Okay. Uh, but you know, you, you you know, the elevator ride up to your room, you know, you're, it was a little bit more than that. I was like, you know, put your kid on, put your shoes on, let's get to the start line and start paddling. And that was really kind of all I needed to hear is like, 
if I went balls ass slow, I was still going to come in across the line in time for the, that day's in that day's cutoff. Mm-hmm. Like if I walked from trace Rios to the top of the top climb and then just coasted down, you'd make it, I'd make it. Yeah. So never mind if I had, if I could find some, some gas in the tank to pedal, like it was going to go faster. Yeah. Um, but I was as close to quitting as you can get without quitting. Like, I mean, I was, you know, throwing up in the elevator away. <laughs> like, yeah, it w- like if I had tossed in the elevator, I'd have just been like, that's all the excuse I need. <laughs> you, uh, but I, I was, I mean, yeah. like I, you lined up, lined up, you lined up and you lined up and I walked over to you when you lined up and I just said, Hey dude, just, just don't Go. stop. Yeah. And, Literally just don't stop. And not for nothing. Once I got myself in the mindset that I was racing that day, I was fine. I just had to get over that spot. Yeah. And for those of you that don't have a good attention span, fast forward, Harley not only came through on day two, but he came through in a time and a speed and a style that we didn't even know was Harley. Because you had your jacket on, so you're covering your jersey. Like you rubber band snapped back to the athlete that's been training for five months, consistently doing hard things. You snapped back and you... You still raced day two. You didn't just get to the top of the volcano and coast down. Like you rode hard. Yeah. No, I, 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 I was, it's weird to like, when you look at data at the end of the day to like, see the disconnect between what you felt and what the data shows. And like, you know, I was just, you know, when you're that beat up, heart rate's hard to find. And so like, it didn't look like I had done a race. It looked like I had done about seven hours of activity, Yeah, but it didn't look like I was racing. Yeah. But if you notice, like my, my zone looked the same way. Yeah. Like no one's, no one's heart rate is ready for that. Yeah. Then 11 hours later, yeah. Or yeah. 13 hours later. So, um, but I, um, I mean, there's a noticeable point where I felt like I turned the corner and, uh, was it I, when you went up the first or the second volcano? Cause you wrote up two volcanoes. Yeah, on it was two. the second volcano. Well, wherever aid two was. Yeah. Because that aid was in like a soccer field uh-huh. and they had bean burritos. That's where you got the tortillas. Dude, the burritos. <laughs> well, cause keep in mind, I didn't eat. Right. Keep you in mind, yeah. I, keep you, in mind you, I didn't eat. Yeah. Keep in mind, I had old bottles from the day before that the first sip I took out of them, I was like, oh, these went bad. So dumped them out. So I got Gatorade at the first aid station. Um, so I haven't eaten breakfast really. I like thought I was like, okay, I got two bottles of Carbo rocket. It's fine. Um, we literally left our bottles sitting by the front wheel of a star car in a parking garage with no idea, no idea if it was going to make it. Yeah. Um, so like I went through aid one, got some stuff there. Um, but aid two, um, my new friend Juan was like, did you have the bean burritos? <laughs> I was like, there's bean burritos. I said, yeah, man. <laughs> so, so guys, um, just as a, as a, as a, as a purveyor of sports nutrition goods and a, and a solid strategy for on bike fueling, bean burritos should not, I repeat, should not find their way in your pack, in your drop bag. They shouldn't be part of your plan. Don't write them on a list. Matter of fact, don't think about bean burritos when riding a bike. Unless. <laughs> Unless. 
You find yourself about to climb up the second volcano of the day. If you're 15,000 calorie deficient and in the middle of a bike race in Central America, you can eat a bean burrito. So to be clear, they were basically about half a tortilla and like a spread of beans. Yeah. So it wasn't like I'm sitting there like Like a Taco Bell. Like mowing down on a a, a Taco Bell bean burrito. It It was basically carbs and a little bit of protein. Which but really they, is they, all is all that you needed, dude. They were life saving. Like yeah. I sat down, I sat there, didn't sit there. I I rolled through. I got two bottles of Gatorade, uh, refilled my water with new and put two noon tabs in. I smashed three of those little burritos. I grabbed two for the road, and that was where my day turned. That was where my race turned around. <laughs> well, it was also the first time you got to enjoy the local culture. You're now yeah. riding through, yeah, the the landscape of Costa Rica, yeah. eating bean burritos and drinking some sugary drink. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're a local. Uh, um, but as is the, the theme with this race, I mean, so like. There's a short little downhill after aid two. And then. Is that the, the grass climb? Uh, the grass climb is part of it, but you don't yeah. start. You fir- yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you do. So day two is 45 miles. Um, almost 9,000 feet, 9, feet of climbing. But the 9,000 feet of climbing Happened in the first 21.25 miles. Trust me, I looked at the computer. Yeah. At 21 miles, you've done 9,000. Yeah. So, is it harder than Leadville? Well, just for... Leadville's 10,400 feet of climbing in 104 miles. Maybe it's like 11,000 feet of climbing yeah. in 104 miles. At 20 miles, you have done almost Leadville's almost elevation gain. Yep. Um, again, you know, this race is one of those races where there were not a single soft toss... In the, in the race, but good chunk of it was pavement that day. Uh-huh. Um, but every little section, like every little bit of like mellow, there's the first time I saw a switchback the whole fucking time we'd been there, like a real switchback, not some 45 degree 180 turn, but like a switchback like you would expect to see in like somewhere with like reasonable infrastructure and road development. <laughs> um, Promise this episode's not going to get political. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, every every little bit of, like, easy that they gave you that day, they instantly took it back with, you know, these little weird connectors where you see the paved road keeps going and there's probably a switchback two miles up the road. But you're going to go up this gravel bit. But you're going to go up this gravel thing that, again, 20, 30, 32%. So just for, for people to understand it, well, like, what are they even there for? You know, a lot of these roads that we, little connectors rather, we, we deviated from the road from, they're, they're tractor uh, routes, they're tractor trails. So all of the agriculture is built on these mountainsides. Yep. And so you, you like vertical lines of, or rows rather, of, uh, of vegetation growing there. I mean, we went through cabbage and onions and, and uh, I mean, just like anything you can think of, right? But the tractor's got to get up and down that, and it sh- is steep. So these are tractor roads. So it's dirt or grass. Right. But a tractor can go up super steep crap. Yeah, they're just Real super low, low, low geared. Low geared, right? Yeah. So that's what you're riding up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every 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 little bit of of soft toss that 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 course gave you, it it, it just yanked it back. Third year in a row, the grass. The grass that you go up. So we all know riding in grass is slow, right? If you've ever raced cyclocross, you do a lot of grass, and you're like, oh, grass is slow. And once it gets beat down, 
Well, yeah, in Colorado, when grass gets beat down, it's okay because our ground below is hard as hell. It's why, like, no one really has basements, right? Like, <laughs> right. It's hard, right? Yeah. But there, the grass is, like, grown on top of a sponge, which is grown on top of a softer sponge, which is grown on top of, like, just, I think, water. Like, it is soul-sucking yeah. soft. Yeah. So that dude, uh, Juan, that I spent a bunch of time kind of riding with, and he he tells me, he's like, we call this section uh, the Velcro. Because yeah. that's what it's like, right? I mean, it's like it's like the grass is the other side of... Yeah, like it's the hook and loop. Like yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's something about it because like there was a point that I've I've got the grade on my GPS and it was below eighteen percent. I'm like, well, I should be able to pedal this, and it's it's unpe- it's unrideable. It's unrideable. Like I I I've, I've lost to the grass the first two years, and so <laughs> my goal was to beat the grass. But fortunately, this year on a single speed, I was like, well, I don't have to beat the grass because I'm on a single speed. Bro, I don't know if I could ever ride that grass. Like some people did. Like um, at that point, um, Amir caught up to me at the grass. That's okay. when he caught up to me because I had done enough walking at that point for him to bridge. Yeah. And he caught up to me at the grass and he rode it. And I think he, part of it, you know, it's like when you see your bro in the middle of a country that you hadn't seen for three hours. Yeah. And you're all like motivated. He rode it, I think, just out of that, like that pure like gumption <laughs> of like, I'm I'm going to do this in yeah. front of you. Yeah. Um. There, he had no business. Like, the matches burned to ride that Didn't, grass. It wasn't worth it. It never, race math never makes sense. Except me. except to kind of flex on you a little bit. To flex on me a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so you get through the grass, and, and then you get to a, one of probably 30 clusters that you see throughout the race of the locals and the support teams yep. and stuff just... Yeah. Just screaming. Cheering and yeah. screaming. Like, did you not just feel like, didn't you feel like a celebrity? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's got a, a vibe like, I mean, we keep like drawing this distinction with Leadville, but it, some of the comparisons make sense. But like the local turnout for those people and the, I mean, they're just going through their day and they happen to see a bike race going through, but they're, you know, they're hooting and hollering and cheering. And then you get right to your point, these clusters where it's like the top of Alpe d'Huez in the Tour de France. Like it's like complete with goofy horns and yeah, noisemakers and whole deal. And they're cheering for, I mean, I'm at the back third of the race and they're cheering for us just as much as I imagine they were cheering for the front. I roll through this section and it wasn't a cluster. It was like just a family, right? So like husband, wife, couple of kids and they're cheering. They got a cooler there. They're cheering. And, and it was a section that I couldn't ride. The gradient was too high. So I'm walking the bike and he's cheering me the whole time. Like I'm, it's like, a, it was like a cartoon movie. I'm like walking up this super steep thing that continues to get longer and longer in front of me. And I'm walking painfully slow, but he's already started cheering. So he just keeps cheering. And he had a cowbell. By the time I passed him, I was going to take his cowbell and just it's club just... him over the head <laughs> with the cowbell. I'm like, dude, with the cowbell. Yeah, I just listened to cowbell for seven minutes walking up this <laughs> This hill. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Yeah, I love what you're trying to do for me, but I want to get rid of you right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you top out. Top out. And you top out. It's Volcano Irazu. I couldn't see it when I was up there. It was pretty socked in when I got up. Which is really a, a bummer because I've had it socked in my first two years. Um, again, the race was always in November, and this year we're there in May. And I got up there, and it was still like crystal blue skies. And to descend from the top of that, because you really just get to, 
it has like a little descent and then a little climb up and then you get the real real descent which yep. is like 35 minutes it's forever 40 minutes 40 minutes guys have you ever done a 40 minute downhill that's what it was yeah 100%. and you go from like the colder high elevation volcano to the floor yeah it was it's insane it's uh and then again just to like reinforce that whole thing like there's no easy without some hard at this race is a lot of it is road but then like it dumps into like this like single lane like when, when it kind of like does a little traverse and like it's like single lane rutted out oh yeah broken up like, yeah busted yeah. up and then it goes down some more and you're flying and the switchbacks are great but you don't want to rail them too hard because there's probably oncoming traffic yeah and- it's not closed road a couple of times you come around there, dude. I was like, "Whoop, that's a tractor." Whoop, there's a truck. Whoop. I got one. Uh, 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 pucker. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I mean, how, how did Harley die? I mean, he turned around a switchback and was going 38 miles an hour yeah. into the front of a truck. Yeah, I think my top speed that day was in the 40s. Yeah, we were comparing them at uh, as we were eating after the race because. Uh, just because we're because, stupid because that's, what, that's we what we do, <laughs> and everyone's like throwing out their numbers. It's just just insane speeds, yeah. you know. Like insane I mean, it's speeds. steep too. Yeah, I mean, look, look, if you haven't gone fifty miles an hour on your mountain bike before, you will. Yeah, at La Ruta, it's just crazy. Um, but you know, then it's you're like if you've never done it, you don't know. So you're just looking at elevation profiles and GPX files, and you're like, well, it's twenty something miles to the finish line. Except for you're on the road and then you bang a hard right off of the road onto gravel. loose gravel. Loose. Gravel. Loose, steep, fast gravel that if you look at the map, it's hilarious because guess what? Big surprise. It's just connecting one piece of pavement to another piece <laughs> of pavement. So like you could have just stayed on the pavement, but it was, I mean, it was a rodeo. I it's mean, a rodeo through there. That, um, so Amir had caught me on the grass. We kind of rode together. And then by the nature of the single speed, I'm able to just, uh, that day two is really works well for me as well as day one did. Cause I can just kind of sit in and do the power. So yep. I pull pretty far away from him. And then, uh, I actually got through almost the whole descent before he was able to catch up because there are, even though you're descending, you're thinking, well, gravity does it all anyway. There are sections you can pedal if you have gearing, like yep. a 10, Oh, yeah. you can pedal and hammer. And I'm just, Totally spun out, coasting, tucked. Right. Uh, my GoPro dies, and I really want to change the GoPro, but I also don't want Amir to necessarily catch me on the descent because it's kind of a fun little like friend flex. Yeah. And so I actually was able to pull the GoPro off the handlebar, pocket it, pull my other extra battery out of a pocket, teeth it, pull the old battery out of the GoPro now, set that aside and put in the new battery. Like I did all of this going downhill, like over 20 miles an hour. Like it was really stupid, but yeah. what you'll do to keep the footage going. Well, because the section you wanted to get was cool. Yeah. And I wanted to get that piece. And so when we banged hard, right, that's right. When Amir had caught up with me and you're right, it's loose gravel. But as I pointed out to you only after the race, that was a coffee field, a yeah, coffee farm. We were ripping through. It could have been fields of beautiful naked humans. <laughs> On either side, and I wouldn't have noticed it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've woke up many mornings and associated the coffee plant to the exact same thing you just pointed out. But uh, yeah, so we're ripping through the basically like the the access road for a coffee farm, and uh, it's just nuts. And Amir's 
really fast on certain sections, but that loose gravel stuff, that was a spot I got to pull away from him because of how sketch balls it is. And I was, again, the GoPro's going, so yeah. I got, you know, I got to ride hard because yeah. uh, y'all are going to watch. And so, I again, a lot of risks. Yeah. Not much reward other than we're almost done. I mean, it was so hilarious because, like, luckily you had pretty good, like, line of sight down right. the road. There was, It wasn't super tight and twisty. Like, it was relatively straight with, like, sweeping turns. Yeah. But it wasn't uncommon to, like, set up for a corner on the inside and just end up on the, like, way on the outside. Yeah, I call like, it the baby head bounce. Just two-wheel drifting across every corner. Yeah, you just got baby head bounced all the way to the outside of the trail. Yeah, like, every, brrr, every corner. Yeah. And then you'd, like, reset for two minutes while it was straight and then the other way and the yeah. other way. Yeah, it was, uh-huh. it, was, it was a rough. But then you get back onto the pavement and you're rolling through town and they do actually traffic control Oh, they're in, just waving you through every intersection. They're closed, so you're ripping. Then I felt like a like Grand Theft Auto. That's yeah. what it felt like, yeah. like the Grand Theft Auto video. Like you're just ripping through this town in a video game, and they're blocking traffic. It's so fun. Well, the nice thing was is like the town is a little up and down, right? There's little rises, and because you've so far climbed what twenty one thousand feet at this point. Like every little rise is an inconvenience. So if you can hold momentum, right. it's so much like it's that much the better. And uh to have them literally just like fuck every ounce of traffic, you're in Laruda, we're stopping this for you. So you can carry momentum up through every intersection and every little rise and every Single little corner. Bridges. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um but Again, Again. <laughs> she going to kick you. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you're about to, I'm going to let you tell the story of it because it's your first visit, but on visit three, I still hate it. Yeah. So you're on this, so you, you ride through town and it's red carpet treatment. You're like, every intersection's blocked. And then there's this long downward trending section of road to a guy with a flag and like these white gates. Like it's like this white archway. Uh, that turns out to be is a, like a botanical garden yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, called Katia, C-A-T-I-A, beautiful botanical garden so, area. Foolishly, so I've long since done away with GPXs because they changed them every night. Yeah, they did change them the night before the race, and then you would follow them, and you'd end up crossing a river you weren't supposed to cross. And That's then, another thing that happened to me on day one. Yeah, me too. Is I think, but I think it was a much bigger time penalty for me than it was for you. Like, I mean, it was probably an extra hour for me. Yeah, I felt mine was like a 35-minute penalty going across that river yeah and then climbing up that road yeah it was terrible yeah um not to mention it was waist deep fucking I mean, water waist deep charging like <laughs> like you could have sold tickets to a river rafting expedition <laughs> down that freaking river it was they were really bad about like there were people who were like oh they changed the course last night I'm like where are you finding this out yeah they changed the course they told all of us at the start line in spanish yeah that's exactly what happened is it again dumb foolish yeah white people yeah and um, so yeah so anyway, so I've long since stopped looking at, at the course because uh, I've gotten – my eye is now trained for the little tiny red dots and arrows that indicate the course. Um, and so I see dude flag. I see these big white arches. And I'm like, this is a great place for a finish yeah, line. <laughs> it looks, it's, it's, it's this reads finish line all day. Every all day. day. And then you're just on this shitty gravel road. That is now upward t- trending for about a mile and a for half. about a mile and a half, and it, it just like you're just so ready to be done. Um, but that was where my legs woke up too. Like 
you came across the finish line like you were doing a TT race <laughs> fresh off of a four-day taper. Yeah, I don't like... My- Abby goes, look at this guy. So this is the point <laughs> I got to. Abby goes, look at this guy. He's really getting after it. That Those were her words. <laughs> right. Your entire team and support crew are at the finish line. And, and Abby goes, this guy's really getting after it. And it wasn't until you physically passed by us that we noticed, oh, shit, that was Harley. <laughs> <laughs> I had my rain jacket on, which I regretted. Yeah. I wanted to put like I was It was like, good for four minutes. It was good for about half of the descent, but then after that I was just like stuck in a fucking rain jacket. Yeah. And uh so yeah, so there's no there's no uh, zero photos of me finishing that day. Like somebody got like the tail end of my ass going across the finish line. Yeah. Um You hammered but, through it though. But that last mile and a half was um pretty uh, atrocious. The best part about that, I guess, is we finished really early in the day. We did. Um, like when you rolled across that finish line and finally looked down at your watch, you're probably like, it's 1230. Yeah, it was, um, it was noon. It was, I don't even know if it was 1230. Yeah. I mean, I had anticipated a nine plus hour day just based on the recycled pig shit feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was like good recycled pig shit, but recycled pig shit nonetheless. Well-trained recycled pig shit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just to be done at, which just solidifies that if you're thinking about doing this race, if you can get pedaling on, make it through day one, finish day one, make it to your bike seat on day two, then like really from about, I don't know if, if we've, if I finished at like just after 12, 1230 ish, you know, so if you can make it to about eleven thirty that morning, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, if you can, if yeah, that's that's, and it's really fun to break it down to that because, yeah. you know, we're gonna work on this through the dawn to dusk curriculum um, tomorrow, but um, there's like a real a real life transition that happens from want to um, to will, meaning. Like I want to do something, mm-hmm. and then I will do something, mm. and that that evolution that happens in there is what is what you had to get through the morning of of Friday morning of yeah. day two, like yep. getting from that like I want to to I will, yeah, um, and then to see it at the finish line, like sunny, beautiful botanical gardens, yep. it was gorgeous, yep. food ready for you and waiting, like yep. that food was good. Hell, you weren't even that dirty. No, not like really. We stayed pretty clean yeah. for the most part on day two. Kids weren't too gross. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, and then we got to go to the Wayabo Lodge. Remember that coffee farm you rolled through on the <laughs> yeah. gravel baby head? Yeah. That was the, that turn was our lodge. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we stayed at this dope little eco, eco lodge, yeah, kind eco of. Yeah, eco lodge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, on, on a coffee on, farm. Yeah. It's um, gorgeous. Surrounded by their own gardens. And you. Well, I think it was gorgeous because yeah, I mean, your your room was gorgeous. My room was fantastic with an amazing view because I we got there by the time we all was said none. We ate, we got loaded up, and and uh, and and got there and got checked in. It was about two thirty. Dinner was at yeah. six thirty. Um, I laid down, put on my Normatex, fired up some social media, and I didn't move for four hours. Just kicked it. Yeah, but it was exactly what I needed. You know, I, uh, Abby and I went and saw Top Gun on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And in advance of Top Gun, 
I had planned a route out in Indian Creek that was quite nasty. Very much. I was trying to simulate La Ruta mm-hmm. uh, day one or day two, like somehow locally. That's what happens when you get back from these things, right? You talked about how you did two rides since you've been back. Yeah. And you go like, man, this shit ain't that hard. So I got to put together some crazy stuff to try to, because my new hard now is so hard. Mm-hmm. But being able to sit at the movie theater or being able to lay in your bed at the Wyabo Lodge, knowing what you've just put your body through and come out on the other side, I mean, that must have been the most satisfying midday nap, lay down, hang out ever. It, it was just one of those. It was. It was. It was. There are sometimes, like, I'm pretty unapologetic about downtime. So long as I've done a hard workout or, you know, there's some, I don't want to say, like, earned it, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty unapologetic about it. But there's some days where I'm just, like, I'm just lazy. Yeah. And that's that. And this is one of those times where it's, like, I'm doing exactly what my body needs. This is just as important as a threshold workout ride or a kettlebell swing like this is every bit and like realistically like from an experience perspective it probably would have been more fun to be down in the the lobby hanging out swapping norma techs around and bullshitting with everybody and and like trading war stories but like molly's like like justin's downstairs like you know doing norma tech stuff and everybody's hanging out and i was like that's fucking great (laughs) I'm staying right here. I'm staying right here. But yeah. it was exactly what I needed. Like yeah. it was the, you know, it was the, 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 the battery recharge. Like that, get the batteries back to eighty percent in four hours, and then trickle charge overnight. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and also the the much like I said, go like going to a movie, going to the movies after a really hard thing. Yeah. You sit there and be like, ah, oh, dude, yeah. that was a day. Yeah. You you from what you came from at three in the morning that day to where yeah. you sat at three in the afternoon now. Yeah. Was a hell of a of a I keep calling it the rubber band snap. Yeah, but to be able to sit in it, it it was almost like you earned that. That was almost your your victory right there. It was yeah. being able to be there in that moment and having not quit, having not you know tossed in the towel when that was what every fiber of the being might have wanted to do. Um, to be able to sit there and go, I get to do this, and then I got I just got one more day. I got three hours tomorrow. Yeah, actually, I thought it was gonna be five. Because this is 50 miles. Well, and, and less that and more just working off of you and Amir and mental's experience of doing it at a different time of year. Yeah. So we're at dinner and, uh, Elander's hilarious because he's just like the dude with the red yarn on like, right. like conspiracy theory guy, like trying to like figure out and to his credit, like he wants a podium. So he's really trying to like, in his, he's verbally processing what he needs to do the next day to to get what he wants position wise. But the way he does it now, it's <laughs> endearing because I do know him now quite well. We got to do these journeys together quite a bit. We'll be in a certain conversation, and he's not really involved. He's kind of there, <laughs> and then he'll just go, you know, I have about three minutes and forty three seconds, to have, and he'll go into the middle of his chart, and I'm like, yo, bro, like that was about like. Have you ever had a social cue in your life <laughs> that said like this is a good time to bring up your madness? Yeah, he just he'll just Tourette speak yeah. that madness, and that's, that's what happened at dinner. Field. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, bro. So we're at dinner, and the dinner there, like they they like they had a full kitchen. They made us an amazing dinner. Um, what was that soup? Oh yeah, I think it the was fennel a, soup, a fennel, fennel and asparagus, and or something like yucca. that. 
Yeah. Something anyway, like that. They made us this amazing dinner. Um, that pork was bomb. Uh, but we're sitting there at dinner and Brian like Tourette's his stuff about like, you know, I, I need this or that. And you're like, you guys need to pump the brakes. Cause this isn't like a road criterium where it's going to be like pace lines. And it's like, it's going to be Rudy. And there's, you're telling the horror stories. Yeah. Gonna, you're yeah. like, it's going to be double rutted axle, deep water, mud. There's these wasps that are in the banana fields. And I'm just like, wow, tomorrow's going to be <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Cause it has always been that. <laughs> Um, and so I was just like kind of thinking about that and I'm like, well, like if we budget, if, if I mentally prepare for a five hour day, just cause we're tired, it's hard, it's going to be muddy and I'm going to be fighting fucking wasps. Uh, I'll just budget for five hours. And if it's less than that, awesome. And, uh, it ended up being way fucking less. I mean, how long did it take you to go? You went 50 miles, it was just short of 50 miles on a mountain bike. Yeah. What'd you do it in? Uh, 303. 303 for 50 miles. That's blistering fast. That's fast. The day was exactly what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was ex- the opposite of what you said. The opposite of what I said. But, you know, I was about sick and tired of, of you know. If this, then yeah, that. And, and to your point, like on Tuesday when you were traveling, you're like, be in the travel. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, we're at dinner from day two. Can we yeah. be in this moment? Yeah. And then tomorrow when we're having breakfast, we'll talk about the next moment. Yeah. But, like, these guys were talking about day three on day one. Yeah. You know, and, and doing all this, these mental gymnastics. And I'm like, if you've learned anything in, in endurance racing and like multi-day stage race, like you can't just assume, like, has any of this ever been easy? Right? Right. And, um, you know, the May race, first of November race changed everything. And it was very much a pace line, gravel crit, yep. and road crit, uh, and and they were right. They I mean everyone's times were super fast. Yep. It was my hardest day. It was a nightmare for you. It was. It's exactly the opposite of what you needed. Terrible. <laughs> it was fifty miles with three hundred feet of elevation gain. You know, like it was flat as flat can be. When you're on a single speed, that's the worst that's part death. of a course. Yeah. Dude, I hurt so bad. I looked at my my zone. I spent two hours and thirteen minutes at threshold. Yeah, I was blasted, yeah. dude. Without the ability to shift, I was absolutely blasted. I was in the third group, so I went off the front. And, and um, I told you that this event was a little different for me because I had this, uh, you know, I felt like I had a sense of duty. So how I felt or how I did, none of that stuff really mattered. Because I had this sense of duty to like the whole group and you. And honestly, I have a, a sense of duty to like future athletes who will go and do this as part of their training through dawn to dusk. And so I didn't really care about me. So much so I'm at the front of the race at the start. And uh, I got to ride with Lachlan up front. And, right. and at this point now, he knows who we are and you are and no ride around. and he's yeah. we're, So him and I are just, we're having a nice old time having a chat. We're just talking. We're talking so much we get through the ceremonial start, two and a half mile rollout or whatever. I looked down and realized I hadn't even started my computer. So I go to start my computer and it says powering down, like powering off. Yeah. Because it's going to sleep mode. Yeah. I turn it back on and us is warming up. I'm like, dude, it's 95 degrees out. Like, you're warm. And that was exactly when the flag dropped and the hammer dropped and everyone takes off on the on the gravel. And I'm like starting this back up. And so I get into a group and I'm in like the third cluster 
after, you know, a, mu- a couple of miles, it susses out. I'm in the third cluster. I can hold 16 and a half miles an hour on a flat road on my single speed at the gearing I had, 3418. By yourself? By myself. And it's putting all of myself into it, right? So 120, 130 RPM coast, 10 more coast, 10 more coast. That's how you do it. You like pump it, right? Yeah. 16 and a half miles an hour. That's about it by myself. For the first 25 miles, I didn't go below 21 miles an hour. I mean, we were hauling it, and I was in a group of eight dudes. And at any point in time, I knew if I fall off of this group, I look behind me, there's no one there. So we're doing 30-second poles. I'm taking my poles. They're all impressed that I'm taking my poles. But once I come off my pole and I get back onto the back of the train, like I don't really get the rest that everyone gets. And so it was, you know, I wanted to quit my pace line basically the whole time I was in it. <laughs> right. I was operating above my pay grade with what I had for a tool. And I just kept looking behind and go, but that is worse. Yep. Like the only way to get done with a bad thing is to get done faster. Right. Right. Like making it easier just makes the bad thing worse because it takes longer. It takes longer. Um, yeah. So I, I had a, a similar experience in that it was kind of hard to tell exactly when everything started just because of the disconnect from the front to the back. Right. Um, but I, I, I was in a couple of really good groups. So I was in a monster group, probably 30 riders, um, including the, was it the Tennessee foundation? Oh, the, or yeah. The Leadville guys. Yeah. Including their whole crew. Um, and they were cooking like it was a solid group. And I mean, we were doing 18, 19 miles an hour. And it was a big enough group that it was a little disorganized, but it stayed consistent kind of just by virtue of the fact that people would just drop off the front. And then there was probably a core group of like 15 people who knew how to ride in a group like that. But we were absolutely nuking. And we got to aid station one well ahead of when I needed anything. Like I, I'm sitting here being blown away at how fast this group is going, how fast the day is going. So we got to what was aid station one was like 15 miles in or something yeah. like that. I went on like maybe a tick under or over an hour, like pretty pretty fast clip. Um, and we lost half the group. Like, what are you guys stopping for? Right. Um. And then I saw you way sooner than I thought I would. Like I thought, or I I don't know what I thought, but they again changed the course, so the turnaround was sooner. Like yeah, so it was an out and back. Yeah, and it was the most unceremonious <laughs> out and back. Of it was all like time. a cone in a gravel yeah, road. Yeah, like there wasn't even a timing mat. Like it was yeah. just as if yeah, they're like you know what, this is good enough. Bloop cone yeah. and like two dudes. Yep. And they're just ro- rotating back. So it was cool, though, because I got to come back and then see, you know, see Derek and see you. And yep. Uh, yep. Amir and Elander were up in the front group. Yep. Um, well, they were in the second group, actually. And mm-hmm. so, and I was in the third. So it was cool to have that interaction. Yep. Um, but we were all just fine. Everybody was going Like, there's fast. no need for aid. You're just, cru- you know, you're going. So I did stop at aid two. Uh, my whole group stopped at aid two. So after aid one, we got down to a selection of probably 10 in our group. Everybody was okay, but um, there was one dude who just like wouldn't pull off the front, and I'm like, dude, just like, like let somebody pull through. Like, is th- there's no reason to flex here. Uh, so you can just like, and I think that's unfortunately ends up being the difference between 
my experience and my fitness level. Like my experience, I know how to ride in a group like that, but my fitness level isn't quite to where I can get with those groups who are also proficient at it. Right. Yeah. I hear you. So I was like fighting a little, like fighting language barrier big time. Um, one of them was Manuel from, uh, from star cars and he was great. Um, but there were some people that just like, they wouldn't pull off or like when I would take, when I would eventually get to the front and go to pull off, like they would just move with me. Yeah. Um, so there's like some, some kind of, again, dumb American, right? Like if I spoke a little bit of Spanish, I probably could have communicated, uh, but the real problem for my group came is we passed through aid two. And I think that was like mile 26 or 27. And as a group, everybody stopped, but then everybody's like elbowing each other to get water faster or get whatever they wanted faster so they could leave faster. And I'm like trying to be like, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. We all go together, 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 group, group, group. And they just start taking off one by one by one. You know, I love how we just say the words slower and more times as if I'm like gesturing like an ape, but like a lot of them, like, you know, but like, it makes sense if you roll into an aid station together, why wouldn't you try to like, like, there's no benefit to rolling out in ones and twos. Well, you could have had the aid station too that we, that, that we experienced, which was, and I'm so mad because I turned the GoPro off just before we got to aid two because it's kind of like getting a lot of a dude's butt in front of me, right? Right. So I'm like, all right, I'll turn off the GoPro. We roll through aid two, which was the rowdiest aid station, I think, of all three days of the race. It was insane in there. Yeah. And you well, make it, it was fast. It was one of the few ones that was like straight yeah. through. And then, well, then after the aid, you made a right and you're on like, you know, rocky, kind of double tracky sort of a road. And someone makes a mistake just ahead of me in NASCAR balls it up and 15 dudes go down <sighs> at full tilt boogie. And I, um, I Jason borned my way through the whole thing because I was able to double eject off my bike over the handlebars, reach back, grab the top tube airborne over the guy in front of me who just ate his ass on the rocks, <laughs> land on my feet and get back on my bike. And realize, like, I don't know much by way of triage, and I don't speak Spanish, so I'm of no help. Bye-bye, guys. Yeah. And it was, I'm like, I don't want people to crash, but if they are going to crash, I want my GoPro going. Right. It was crazy chaos, carnage in front of us, and that splintered our group a little bit. Yeah. Um, But then it got hot, didn't it? Because it was hot, but on the way back, you really start to feel that heat because you go through the banana fields. You get like um, three quarters of a mile serpentine section of buffed, beautiful single track in a banana field, which yep, was like was the coolest cool. thing, wasn't yep. it? Like you were just dipping and diving on banana yep. trees. Um, I think the second half felt hotter because that's where like group fragments happened. Oh, so he slowed you down. Slowed you down. You're not going yeah. as fast. And every so every pedal stroke, every pedal stroke feels like just a little bit more than it should. It got hot. But then, you know, as the race does, you get back to town. They're directing you through town. And and I think it really starts to settle in a bit. I'm hoping it did for you. I guess the question, like, it settles in, like, wow, you're about to, like, cruise through this town, this this Central American town. You're in Costa Rica. Yeah. And you're about to cross this finish line on a track in this, like, you just did the thing. Yep. Well, it was hilarious because we got back to town. And so I caught – so, first of all, on, like – 
like that never ending road. So they were supposed to dive us back into town, but then we went on this road that was like, kind of like stayed up above town. And then, yeah. um, but it was just kind of like this, like gently winding road, I think on like the North end of town. And you're saying to yourself, but why? <laughs> eh. But why? The tunnel? Uh, why did we do this? Um, and this dude, not in the bike race, some, you know, banana farm worker on the equivalent of a department store target Schwinn in cowboy boots pulled up over his jeans and a machete on his back catches me, passes me and drops me like the recycled pig shit that I was <laughs> on Tuesday, on, uh, on Friday morning. I was just like, well, that just happened. Well, and it goes to show you had to go really far out of your way, you know, like three flights, Several thousand dollars, <laughs> a lot to do a hard. He was just going back to work. Yeah, he, he was just, late from work. or going home or he was late whatever. From lunch. Yeah, he took a little bit of a long break because <laughs> he met up with his chick, <laughs> and he's just going back to work. <laughs> Passed me like I didn't exist. Like he caught me so fast. So like sometimes when you're out in those like isolate, like when you're in a gravel race or something where you you it should be a pack, but you get get isolated. You have to have that debate of do I try to catch people or is it worth it to sit up for 30 seconds to have two people to work with? Yeah. And so like I was kind of having a little bit of a debate and I saw a guy coming up on me and I was like, well, if I can get in with this guy, it'll be good. Yeah. Except you would have then had to go to work for Del Monte. You'd have to put a shift in a Del Monte. Um, so but then also. So things start getting familiar. You know, we get back to, to town and things are starting to look familiar from the rollout or driving into town, trying to find the finish or the start finish that day. The fuck was that? Yeah. Um, and this dude on a Cannondale is just like quietly riding over my shoulder. And like every time I accelerate a little bit, he matches it and, and accelerate. And, and so that's why I came sprinting across the line. It's because like, for no this fucking guy, I'm like, this guy's not finishing before me. Fuck <laughs> this guy. And in all of that, I almost got hit by a fucking official's car. So at the beginning of this year, on the heels of how we finished last year, one of your uh, fundamental desires was I don't want to be the mountain bike racer lifestyle. I want to be the mountain bike racer. Sure. When you raced that guy across the finish line, <laughs> if you if if Harley the athlete needs any more obvious <laughs> of an indicator that you are a mountain bike racer, yeah. then you are then you are a lost cause. Because right. what greater element? You're you you just got done with three days being super high and super low and everywhere in between. And you come sprinting across the last day's finish line because that fucking guy is not going to catch me <laughs> at this fin- Like, th- there is no better racer. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and that was, I think, the second half of day two, sure. But all of day three, I finally felt like I was racing. Yeah. What a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and all I had to do was get through day one. <laughs> <laughs> all I had to do was go through World War One, Two, and Vietnam. <laughs> right? Yeah, all in one day, and then yeah. Um, so that was—I mean, it, it the gravity—it's so weird. 
the gravity of finishing it was huge, but it's almost like even with everything, you don't have time to like settle into it. Just the way everything with that race works. It's just like, it's like, all right, like enjoy it for a minute. Cause we got to eat and we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like enjoy it, but not for too long. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, I, I, I was trying to think about your experience. Cause like you said, we didn't really chat a whole lot since we've been back. Yeah. And I was trying to think of your experience and, you did have, you know, you've always used that term, that Italian pit stop term with yeah. me, <laughs> yeah. where, you know, it's like, dude, I just got here. Give me a second. Yeah. But there really just isn't a lot of time for that at the event. Sure. Like that. And, and that's where stage racing in general, but then stage racing internationally and then stage racing internationally with all these like transports and all these yeah. things, it just really limits that ability to sit at the finish line and soak it up. Yeah. Or even just like, you know, like, when we did Breck Epic on the last night, we had our condo. To, like, you and I, like, we finished up. You and I went and had the best hamburger I've ever had. Right. And then we had, like, our condo to hang out in. Same thing with Leadville last year. Like, we had, like, we had our, our condo in Copper to, like, everybody sits around and high fives and, you know, trades war stories from the day. And, like, at, at even on day three, which was a fast day, and we were all done by noon at the latest yeah yeah like, not even yeah um like they're breaking the race down yeah like I mean, you, <laughs> well we, like, we you don't have to go home but you can't stay here yeah like we had to we had to take a, a trickle water shower sort of yeah. pseudo yeah um i mean eat. not even that we had to break our bikes down and put them in the bike yeah we still had to like disassemble our bikes and eat and mental gave his bike to the bike wash people but then, well, and so did you. But then you had to go chase them down because so they get put on a semi. So they get put on a truck to go to San Jose to leave. Right. You know, Amir and Brian had an even tighter schedule than we did because they just had to get on a shuttle to go to San Jose so they could fly out the next day. They had COVID tests to deal with. Like, there's just no chance to just like until we get to Puerto Viejo. Yep. And that was where the last three days of the trip were kind of that like we did that. Yep. You know, and you get to kind of settle in. But do you feel like a conquistador? Like, you know, I try to put the gravity behind the event over the last few years when we've talked about it. And it's just, for me, I feel like having done that race in particular and come out the backside of it is just, I have been something that most people will never be. And I can't even tell you how that feels, you just kind of got to experience it. That's how I feel about it. I feel, yeah. I mean, it's rarefied air, right? Like, not to diminish any race that anybody does because everybody's personal challenge is relative to what they're trying to accomplish or do, right? But in this upper echelon of hard shit that we do, it's a pretty big step above it right yeah. like not to take away how hard breck epic was in 2019 but now i look at breck epic through the filter of doing la Ruta and accomplishing that and i'm like that's super fucking doable right <laughs> like you know my goal times for this year kind of click into like yeah that's yeah. that's also super doable um and, and so, it, and inevitably at Breck Epic this year, you may have a morning, not as bad, but similar to, and you'll be able to say, "Dude, I've had a morning worse than this." Yeah, yeah. Like it just—it's one of those. I was talking with uh, Coach Andy, who's been on the podcast before today. He's like, "Dude, that's 
He's like, that's one of those things that like fundamentally changes you as a human. And like previous to that, that was Leadville, you know, for me that previous to that, that was accomplishing Breck Epic, but those changes weren't as big as this change. You know, and it goes to show, you know, how people always say like, well, was it, how was your last race? It was the hardest race I've ever done. When you're continuing to evolve, like you're always doing that hardest next thing. Uh-huh. And so I'll argue that this year's Breck Epic may be another step down this journey path for you because you're going to it with a higher skill set and experience set than you ever had. Right. And I'm so, going to go race it. Yeah. You're going to race it in a way that you've never raced it. Yep. Um, and one of like the really kind of cool sidebar things of all this is now my wife is like, well, what international bike race do you want to do next? I'm like, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think much past this one. It was, it was really cool to spend more time with her, obviously, than I ever have before. Yeah. Um, but dude, she is just such a champion of you. It was really cool to like be around that because yeah. they were all, ch- I think, like you know, Abby was as yeah. well, and hell, I had my mommy there. My mommy was there too. So, <laughs> um, but you know. They didn't really do a whole, like, I gave him such a backhanded compliment. I was like, hey, guys, like, everything you did for us, like, we didn't really need it, but it was damn nice to have you there, <laughs> you know? It- I mean, I would argue that with our setup this year, there is about 25% of the total race and 100% of the day-to-day logistics that would have been way fucking harder if they weren't there. No, for sure. I mean, they were definitely, but, like, you know, that race, you're out alone. Yeah, the they, they were, right? it's not like, like again, yeah. like, it's not like Leadville where they're posted up at right, hand you bottles, hand you bottles, and that sort of thing. But it was um, really nice to have them there, and it was really nice to to see how much support you've got in this silly little thing. Yeah, know? all of us, right? Yeah. Like uh, as a as an entire group. Um, to circle back around to something you said, you know, about critiques about what you could or couldn't have done uh, as a coach, uh, I'm going to let you off the hook 100. percent There are no critiques. Really. There isn't anything you can do to get <laughs> so the only thing you can do is you can make some somebody physically ready for a bunch of hard shit. Yeah. That's the only thing that you can do as a coach to if you're sending people to LaRuta. Unless you're really gonna have people go to Tough Mudders and bike rides. Like right, right. outside of that one outlandish scenario. So all you did was, you know, the 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 like the final like 10-ish weeks of our training was like blocks of three days of hard shit back to back to back. Yeah. That's all you can do. I would say I would, I guess one little critique was I I would have like in hindsight, maybe like three, three hour hard days instead of like, cause like with team rides and it's like, it was like an hour and a half. I would get these like cumulative, like six hours over three days. Yeah. But it probably would have better, been better if it was like nine hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you walk up against being like overtrained and fatigued. So you're like, yeah, it's kind of like a hard, you know, if you didn't have a job, <laughs> right? Yeah. You would say, hey, every weekend I need you to go out for six and a half hours and don't come home until you feel like recycled pig shit. Yeah. And then we're going to do a few other training rides throughout the week. Yeah. But once a week, you can go out and turn it into recycled pig shit and then just... But like we have jobs, like so, it's hard to like it's hard to be recycled pig shit and then go to work. Yeah. Or you know, so just building resilience and durability, yeah. and that's what you've built. And I think that was 
and that was when I really like deconstructed. Because again, there no matter how many ways I sliced, if I let myself, I will feel bad about what happened on day one, right? Like if I like let the you know the guy the inner voice guy that we're like fuck that guy he's a dick he's not invited to the party but if you like let him like stand by the window and like shout stuff in <laughs> like uh i'll i'll let myself feel bad about what i did on day one or didn't do in my mind which right. was like i wanted to like be done ish by about you know 11 11 and a half hours but fuck that got through it we finished it we didn't quit um and more importantly, like we built an engine that like could bounce back. Yeah. And that was all like, and that really showed second half of day two and into day three. Yeah. I know that, uh, and I mean, that's like no secrets here, right? Yeah. Um, this was, you know, you've done a lot of hard things, right? But this is just so far and above beyond hard <laughs> yeah. that, I know that there were people in our circles that were like, man, I hope everyone makes it through this event. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. And you get to stand now. Be like, yeah, I did it. And be like, I did the thing. Fucking did it. Yeah. Dare you to do it. Yeah. Right? Actually, and- I don't recommend this race to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming from the guy that still will sign up for the Ridgeline Rampage, though he hates that race. So we'll see if he's singing that tune in a month. I, I, I can't in good conscience recommend this race. to. I was talking to uh, to one of our teammates the other day, and I was like, look, if you just want to find out what, you're, like, what you as a human are made of, comprised of internally, externally, physically, mentally, emotionally, like if that's the test that you want, go do it. If you want to test yourself at a bike race, don't go do it. You know, this morning I had a guy uh, I was working with and he asked me, he said, you know, he's like, I'm surprised there weren't like more American racers there. And I had to explain to him kind of the the way that that world works. Uh-huh. So you have people like Keegan and Finsty and these guys, DeVos, that are like, they, they need to get good results at marquee big events to continue having a professional career where somebody pays them to ride bikes. Yeah. So you need exposure and you need things like that. That's why Lifetime is doing that amazing thing with the Grand Prix, right? This type of race is not just a pure bike race, right? Like you can you can basically pedal every race that those level of guys do in their calendar year. Mm -hmm. But when you're carrying a bike through the jungle, like it it loses a little bit of its being a bike race only and it becoming this like adventure. It's an adventure race. So you know, the people like Lachlan's really good at that because he does this kind of like fringe. He does a lot of the main that's races. Kind of, that's, but that's what he's built. But he's built through some of the fringe stuff yeah, too. Yeah. And so, you know, it's the type of person that would go do the Colorado Trail Race, mm-hmm. right? That's the person for La Ruta. So you're right because it's more than just what your watts per kilo can be in your sustained nutrition intake over the course of X amount of hours. Um, I mean, it gets into that like day two, day sure. three. For sure, but but there's this massive yeah th- obstacle in the way. Yeah, it's a jungle. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, watching stuff come in through social media and stuff over the weekend from Unbound, yeah, um, which a lot of people dubbed unhinged because of the conditions, right? Yeah, everyone looked like crap. They were covered uh, in mud, and, yeah. and it was very uh, 
unlike what people expected going into Unbound, which is going to be just this 200-mile hammer fest, right, finished before dark. And it became much more adventure-laden. Yeah. They had, they had like three mud bogs is what they were calling yeah. them. And, and so and so LaRuda is is like that guaranteed, and then it gets harder from there. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. If you want to find out who you are and what you're made of, um, but also know that you need to have a strong journey of fitness and dedication <laughs> to get to that point to be able to do it. And that's why I think it's just such a, such a transformational thing. And it's cool to sit across from you now and knowing like we now share that. Yeah. Because that's a hell of a, of a, of a large a, board for what's next. That's a big thing, and yeah, I mean, and it did, you know, again in 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 finding that resilience in days two and three, um, it just made me more excited to race the stuff that I have gone. Like one lap at Firecracker Fifty, that's gonna go quick. What else are we gonna do today? Yeah, what else are we gonna do today? <laughs> you know, like it just like the whole perception around what this back half of my year. Is is has vastly been altered. Yeah. Like how I, I, like I looked at it as like, okay, the root is this big thing, but I have these three other big things, and this they're not small things, but they're not that thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just it it's been a pretty big uh, sh- shift in perception. Well, with that said, it's time to roll that train. Yeah, yeah. Because we're gonna move to the next block of training, which gets us through the next part of the year. So. Yep. This was 18 months in the making. Fuck. We got it. We made it. You know? <laughs> Conquistadors. Conquistadors. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a hell of a journey. And it's so crazy to put so much work and effort in in like six months and then be like, well, yeah, that's cool, but like you still you still got more, bro. <laughs> yeah, like it's the first week of June. Yeah. The season for most people is now started. Yeah, like right now we'd be ramping up. Like if LaRuda was in November – we'd probably be ramping up into bigger volume now than as opposed to like back in April when we did. Yeah. And so now where do you get to go? Cause you're already, I mean, there's obviously going to be more fucking volume, Justin, more volume. (laughs) (laughs) I do think, um, the last little block of training that we did, um, before we left was you were just like, you know, training wheels are off. Just climb X amount of feet this week. I wish we did more of that. Yeah. I think that would have been better suited. Like you just gave me a little bit too much rope with like right at threshold for two hours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more, more volume. Cool. More volume and more up. Yeah. More volume and more up. Dude, we rode, I told you this already. Right, we rode up uh cub Creek last night and until you ride it, you don't know, but it, I mean, I'm sitting here saying like, Oh, my perception of steep has changed. And I cleared, Way more of that trail than I would have a week and a half ago, but it's that trail is relentless. It is all rocks and roots and steep and switchback and steep and roots and rocks and steep, and then oh, 50 yards of smooth, and then the most ripping descent in the front range. Dude, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to go ride this thing next week. Yeah, you do. Yeah, um, this week because I'm already tapering. Yeah, so well, we finished up the race, we went and hung out on the beach for three days in Puerto Vallejo. Uh, we went back to San Jose. And we toured probably the most picturesque coffee farm I've ever been to at the uh, at the Starbor- uh, Starbucks uh, uh, R and D farm. Yep. And then we flew home. We had to sprint through Houston again, both directions. Dude, bikes got lost for a day. 
rent a car company charged me for a spare tire because we ejected it <laughs> driving down a riverbed in a rainstorm on the last night. But, you know, like other things happened. Yeah. It was a cool trip. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good trip. It was it was all very fulfilling, very rewarding. The back half of the trip was just as re- rewarding as the front half of the trip, just with more sand and, and beach than mud and bikes. It was damn cool. And it took us, it took us somewhere. Yep. And that's what the sport does. It takes us somewhere. Now we think of what we need to do next on this journey of the podcast. Yeah, we got to come up with a focus now. Yeah, yeah, we do. What are we doing this for? Son of a bitch. Let's go find out. Yeah, all right. See you uh, guys. Yeah, thanks everybody for following us on that that 18-month string of a story, and thanks for listening. Don't weep! You're not done! So get the fuck out! Don't weep! You're not done! So get the fuck out! Don't weep! You're not done! So get the fuck out!